text of the message this morning is the first 24 verses of chapter 31. You can see how it fits in that whole passage that we read. Beloved Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we read these chapters, we can see that the main point, the line is that the Lord, the Father in heaven, is commanding his son Jacob to leave a life of servitude and injustice and to return home so that he can take hold of his inheritance in Canaan. And when we think of an inheritance, the children may know that that means that's what you receive from your, your parents when they, they move on. It may be property, it may be money. But the inheritance that Jacob was to receive was more than just a family farm. But it was everything that the Lord had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And it was focused on the promised child of Eve. God said she would come and she would crush the head of the, 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 the serpent, the, the devil, destroy sin and death. And so the patriarchs were hoping in that promise. And that's the center of the inheritance that makes it so special. That's why it was so important for the families to settle down and to grow large in the promised land in Canaan and, and nowhere else. When God called and commanded Jacob to return, it was like he was calling him out of an, an energy-sucking, sticky swamp with little hope for the future, and he was calling him to a comfortable place that he would inherit, that would serve as the waiting room for the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as we work through this narrative of Genesis, it is very important to understand how the triune God is over everything, who is watching everything that is taking place on the earth in order that he might bring history to the point where his promised Messiah could be born. The eternal Son of God, he, he knows that he is the one who will crush the head of the serpent. That he is the one who will die for his sheep. And so in our text, it is he that is working through Jacob to keep his people separate from the world and dedicated and focused on him and on his promises. The weight, the movement of this plan opens up the text as we read it and we can see the wave of God's overwhelming love carrying these little families, these little people and their decisions carrying them forward like little boats on the big sea. We know that Christ Jesus was born as a descendant of Jacob in the promised land because Way back, Jacob had obeyed the Lord's command to return. The same Jesus revealed the spiritual kingdom of God. He revealed an inheritance that is, is much greater than just a piece of property here on the earth. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ separates themselves and their children from the world to follow him and that hope of this eternal kingdom that he promises. We will inherit a kingdom. 
where we will live purified by the blood of Christ and we're able to live in perfect harmony with the Father in heaven. In fact, we already see that today. We hear God calling us. We hear God commanding us through the text today. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. God calls his church to take hold of her inheritance. We'll see this in three parts. Called as heirs to the promised land, we leave what is temporary and take hold of our inheritance. Jacob knew that he was supposed to return someday to the promised land. He knew that already when he was in Bethel, when he was fleeing from his home and his angry brother Esau, and he had that vision of the, of the, the ladder or the stairs going up to heaven. At that time, and you can read that, you flip back your Bible in Genesis 28, verse 15, the Lord said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now Jacob is in the land, he's having all these children, and it's probably shortly after Joseph was born that the Lord showed Jacob in a dream some goats of unusual appearance, and he told him to return to his father's house in Canaan and to take hold of this inheritance. He talks about that dream when he's speaking to his wives. It's in verse 10 to 13 of our text. That probably happened just before or just after Joseph was born. Because we see in chapter 30, verse 25, as soon as Rachel had, had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away. It appears that Jacob heard it, saw the dream, and, and he right away went to Laban. He said, let me go. Let me go to my own home, my country. Jacob was thinking of his inheritance. He was thinking of the promise. While Laban made it very clear to Jacob that he wasn't going to give Jacob anything besides his two daughters and their servants. And he basically said to Jacob, if you want to build up your wealth, I'll start paying you for your services uh, starting now. You can read that in verse 28. Laban said, name your wages. Now, Jacob may have expected to have a percentage already. Laban said, not a chance. We'll start now. What do you want? Now imagine you were Jacob, and imagine you just had that dream that we could read about in the first, in verses 10 to 13 of chapter 31. The dream where God showed him, said to him, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So Laban says, name your wages. Jacob is thinking of this dream. Well, what would you ask for? Well, Jacob did the same. Jacob said, give me the striped, the spotted, and the mottled sheep. And as he was asking that, he knew that God would give them to him because God equips those he calls. Now, we didn't read it all, but chapter 30 it talks about all the techniques that Jacob used to build up his flock with striped and spotted and mottled sheep. He put some striped sticks in the, in the watering troughs. 
uh, and, and he also had striped sticks for when the animals were mating, and he made sure that all the, the striped and spotted and mottled ones were, were the strong sheep. And we could see that Jacob used many techniques, but as he was doing this, he had that dream of God in his mind. He knew, he knew that he would get those sheep, no matter what he did. We could maybe even question, was he just doing it uh, for a show? But he knew that the Lord would supply him from those sheep. In fact, when we read the conversation with his wife, his wives in verses 7 to 9 of our text, we see that it was because the Lord blessed him in this way and through those sheep that Jacob knew that he really had to go, he had to return. No matter what Laban did to try to get control of the situation, to, to try to get control of his life again, no matter how many times he changed Jacob's wages. His business kept going downhill quickly, while Jacob, being blessed by God himself, raced along on an ever-widening course of unbelievable success in the area of striped and spotted and mottled sheep and goats. Jacob knew that God himself was making him wealthy for the sake of the church, that wealth was not an end in itself, like Laban thought. Just as we emphasized with the question of dating and marriage, also with our wealth, we must understand that it is given to us to help us to focus on our greater calling in this world. It has to do with the church. It has to do with our inheritance. We are given wealth so that we can take hold of our inheritance in heaven, not so that we become clo more closely attached to this world. Wealth is a great responsibility. It can be confusing. It must be spent wisely. It must be spent for the kingdom of God. And we read that the Lord called Jacob a second time after he had grown rich and prosperous. That's at the beginning of our text in verse 3. The Lord said to him, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. Once again, Jacob responds quickly and he calls his wives out to a secret meeting. You can see that in verse 4. The head of the household is called by the Lord to take hold of his inheritance so the rest of his family is called as well. They are included in the covenantal promises. We read that conversation in verse chapter 31, verses 4 to 13. We see that Jacob shows his family that they have two choices. The inheritance of their father in Haran or the inheritance of their father in heaven. The blessings of the Lord or the deception and final poverty of Laban. That's what, the, that's what Jacob is saying to his wives. He says, here's your choices. I was called to take hold of this eternal inheritance. You're included. You also are called. What will it be? And we read their answer. We're very thankful to read. They said, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house are we not regarded by him as foreigners? That's verses 15 and 16. He sold us, and then he devoured our money. 
All the wealth that God has taken from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. And brothers and sisters, we see clearly that when God called Jacob to take hold of this inheritance, he also called his family to go with him. He equipped Jacob so that he could accept that call, that he could, he could go where he had to go by giving him wives and children who were willing to go with him, who were willing to make sacrifices for the kingdom of God. And indeed, that is a very rich blessing for those the heads of households who have wives that support him when they say, no, first, the kingdom of God. First, the church. First, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever the sacrifice, we're called to that. What a blessing it is when wives and children see that and are willing to make sacrifices and how hard it is when the opposite is true. When our wives and children hinder the call to be overly focused on the things of this earth, our wealth, our comfort, and our peace. Jacob was commanded by God to take hold of his inheritance. And then God made it easier for him by giving him sufficient wealth, by giving him a willing family. In verse 24, we can see that even as Jacob is going, the Lord is, is protecting him, and he appears to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream. He appears to someone who apparently does not really worship the Lord. And he appear, appears to him in, the, in a dream, and he says, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. We sang that in Psalm 105 as well. The Lord says, don't do anything don't harm my anointed ones as they go and take hold of their inheritance. The Lord Jesus, as he, as he faced his opposition and hatred on, on the earth, he could look to this passage. He could know that no one could do a single thing against him without the will of his heavenly Father in heaven. Laban was warned by God. Laban knew that God was with Jacob, that Jacob was protected. The church was protected. The Lord showed Jacob that he was the rightful heir. He promised that Jacob, the church, would receive the inheritance. He commanded him to leave Laban's house when it was time to go. And then he paved the way with flocks before him, his wives beside him, and God's divine protection all around him. The angels that we read about. He even got to see some angels. Chapter 32, the first two verses, he saw some angels that confirmed, made it clear he was in the will of God. He was blessed because of his obedience. And yet as we look at this passage, we also see that it was not so simple. Looks like it should have been simple, but it was not that simple for Jacob to leave where he was, to leave the temporary things. There were some ropes, you could say, that tied him to the swampy and unstable ground, and it made it hard for Jacob to leave to take hold of his eternal inheritance. In chapter 30, we see that after six years of hard work, a good stock of striped, spotted, and mottled sheep, Jacob had a comfort and a power and a security that he had never known before. He was a big shot in his country. 
And we can imagine that would have made it hard for him to leave, to go running around back to another country. When we are comfortable in a place, when we have a good home, when we have a growing family, we have enough wealth to live on without worries, it's kind of hard to get upset about ideologies. It's interesting we only get upset about politics when it hurts us and makes our lives uncomfortable. We get used to things, we get attached, we get settled in, no matter where we call home. And God's call to stay focused on our in eternal inheritance it starts to fade into the background. The call becomes quiet. A wealthy, comfortable life can be dangerous for the Christian who has been commanded to stay focused on the eternal inheritance, not to be too attached to this life. Wealth can be a, a rope that ties you to a temporary reality. Now in his mercy, God gave Jacob a chance to wake up. Gave him a chance to get back on track. We read that in the first verses of our text. Genesis 31 verse 1 says that one day he heard his cousins, Laban's sons, they were talking. They were bitter. They believed that Jacob had robbed them of their inheritance. And when we read, and you can read it in chapter 30, we read the little summary of it, but when we read how Jacob didn't stop at just building up his own wealth, but he also went out of his way to ensure that Laban had the weakest and the smallest, then we could see why they were upset. They were looking, they were seeing the church growing at their expense. Their inheritance was, was disappearing, and Jacob's was growing strong. Jacob looked at Laban, and he could see that his attitude had changed as well. The original language said his face changed. If it was favorable before, now it wasn't. If before Laban had seen Jacob as a helpless, vulnerable Yahweh worshiper that he could take advantage of, he now saw that he was a successful businessman with God on his side. Genesis 31 verse 29 shows that Laban was not beyond harming Jacob. Jacob was afraid. Jacob all of a sudden was in danger. The Lord was waking him up so that he could hear the call again. Leaving is difficult, though, because, not only may, because it may mean that we need to leave some comforts behind, that's one thing, but also because it may offend those we leave. Jacob would have been tempted to stay in Pat and Aram and Haran by his fear of the consequences should he leave, should he separate himself from Laban. Sometimes fear of the opinions and judgments of others is like a rope that makes us stay in an unhealthy place. Our fear ends up becoming a destructive chain that enslaves us to the power of the wicked. 
We don't leave because we are afraid to. We are more impressed with the power of man to hurt us than with the power of God to help us. We have all been in those situations and the Lord shows he understands. Israel had the same thing in Egypt when they were thinking of leaving, but they realized the cost. Every time they'd leave, God made them work harder. Oppression, being vulnerable, having this fear in our hearts, this anxiety, it makes it difficult to leave, makes it difficult to, to, to get our minds off of what is temporary, off of earthly things. That's why it's so important to know and to hear the proclamation of the gospel that, that there is another and a greater kingdom, a greater God. There is another option. We don't have to live in the vicious circle of, of fear of the opinions of others, a, a fear to leave and, and getting caught up in the circle of these earthly things. There is a choice between staying in the fear or standing up against it with the one on your side who tells you not to fear. We read that in Luke 12. Do not fear, little ones. There's a choice between the inheritance of oppression and the inheritance of peace and victory in the church. And then with our faith in the promise of salvation in God, like Jacob, it becomes possible to, to cut the ropes of fear that tie us to the, the sinking ship. Then we can follow that hunger for peace that we have in God. We can think of God's kingdom. It gives us courage to move out of what is temporary and failing. And when we see how God himself used the threats of his family to bring Jacob to definitive action, to put him back on the trail to his everlasting inheritance, we are reminded also of, of other theologians. There was a group of the Puritans. They said, the hardships make us uh, uh, love the world less. Hardships make us less tied to this temporary life help us break those ties to what is temporary. And then there are those among us who ruin every argument we have for separating ourselves from the world by just taking worldly traditions and superstitions with them. They say we're going on to eternal life and they take their traditions and their superstitions of this world with them. Rachel stole the household gods. She left for the kingdom with her little gods under her arm. People like this, their bodies leave. It looks good, but their hearts don't. Those household gods that Rachel took were probably related to, to cultural superstitions about well-being, protection, or good crops, or fertility, or other earthly pursuits. Do you see, brothers and sisters, how much the world and what the world promises infiltrates the lives of God's people? Do you see how hard it is to leave 
that temporary world, that, that empty world. Jacob's main reason for leaving Haran, leaving Laban's house, was because he wanted to return to obedience. He wanted to devote himself completely to his God, to be in the place where the Messiah was coming, to receive his Lord with open arms. His, his departure was a, a statement. It was a declaration of his faith in the one true God. And so Jacob didn't imagine that anyone, anyone who had agreed to come with him would steal the household gods. We read that. He said he didn't know that Rachel had took them. Not even Laban expected that. When you read the passage, Laban is looking for the gods. Well, he starts with the servants. He doesn't expect the daughters who agreed to go to take those household gods with him. Sometimes it's difficult to leave because of a wealthy and a comfortable life. Sometimes it's difficult to leave because we are afraid of people. Sometimes it's difficult to leave because we love this world. We love the traditions and the superstitions too much. Makes us ask how many household gods have infiltrated our homes. Could it be possible that even while we are saying to the world that we have to be different, that we have to remain separate, we are at the same time imitating the world's lifestyles. We are adopting their priorities. We are carrying their gods in our hearts. Sometimes it takes an angry person from the world to wake us up. Rachel saw that when Laban came looking. Later we read in Genesis 35 that it's inconsistent. Genesis 35 verse 2, Jacob, as he's about to go back home, he says, okay, everybody, take your foreign gods, put them in front here, let's bury them under the terebinth tree. It's a slogan we can have in our, in our homes. Bury your household gods under the terebinth tree so you can go before the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. Now, leaving is also difficult when it includes family. When Rachel and Leah told Jacob, now then, whatever God has said to you, do, they made it clear that they were willing to leave father and mother and to cleave to their husband. You see it often, maybe not so much in our circles, but definitely in the world as, as the church is growing and growing, faith will often separate you from family that does not have the same faith. The Lord Jesus recognized this special challenge. He, he spoke specific words to this. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more in this time and in the age to come. Luke 18 verses 29 to 30. It's a precious, precious verses for many brothers and sisters in, in, in the world. We understand how Laban, as a father, may have been very offended that their faith forced them to flee. He even says that, I just want to say goodbye. And so we're very 
pleased to see also how God in his grace allowed for Laban and Jacob and his family to, to have a covenant of peace that was at the end of chapter 31. Sometimes following the Lord Jesus and his kingdom, sometimes that, will, that will, will take you places where members of your unbelieving family cannot go. They cannot even understand it. How blessed we are then when God allows us to separate ourselves from them with peace, with kindness, with understanding, even as we pray for them to repent. There are many things that tie us, that attach us to this temporary world. And as we see them, and even as we sometimes have difficulty letting go, let's remember the words of Paul, who understood, who explained this clearly in Philippians 3, verses 7 to 8. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Indeed, like Paul, we too, as Church of Jesus Christ, we, we strain forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We want to take hold of our inheritance. The Lord's call to return requires definitive action. We can hear it, and now we also must live it. Like his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, Jacob is quick to respond. Chapter, verse 13, God said, Arise. Chapter, verse 17, Jacob arose. Genesis 31, verses 17 to 21 explain how the wives and sons were set on camels and how his livestock was prepared for the journey. And reading these verses, not only do we see how rich Jacob had become, but we also see Jacob's firm resolve to get to his destination. It's a purpose clause in verse 17, where we read that he, everything was arranged to go to the land of his father Isaac, to the land of Canaan. And then after we read verse 21, he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the river, the Euphrates, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Jacob's heart his mind, his soul, all his possessions, they were focused on his inheritance. He faced the journey with a firm resolve because his heart was on his destination. First the river, then the enemies, then the desert, then the promised land. A journey that would later be experienced by his children and grandchildren when they left the slavery of Egypt. And then later when they left the bondage of exile in Babylon. The only difference is that the future generations could look back to this event and they could have the guarantee that God would be with them, that God equips those whom he calls. He carries us to our destination. God's faithfulness in the past motivates us today. 
When the journey looks tough, brothers and sisters, remember how God carried our brothers and sisters in the past. When it looks tough, to, when it looks too difficult to, to leave what we have here, remember how he led his people through the river, through the, the suffering, through the weakness, through the enemies. Because it's God who calls, he also brings us to our destination. And this inheritance that we are looking forward to was sealed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was sealed by the Lord Jesus who walked on this earth. The Lord Jesus who felt the pull and, and understood what the temptations looked like as he went to the cross. Luke 9 verse 51 talks about the Lord Jesus, his view of his destination. It says there that he set his face to go to Jerusalem where he would die for his people. He set his face to guarantee your eternal inheritance. Like Jacob, our Lord Jesus was thinking of God's promised inheritance. He gave his life for the sake of the church, for the sake of the future generations who would enjoy it. Not just a place on earth, but we know an eternal inheritance in heaven. Like Jacob, we are called by our Father to cut our attachments, all those ties to the swamp of this temporary life and to take hold of our inheritance in heaven. Hebrews 11 Verses 13 to 16 explains that. Like the patriarchs who went to the promised land, we are strangers and exiles on the earth. We are seeking a better country. We are seeking a heavenly one. We will sing about this desire to take hold of our inheritance in hymn 36 and hymn 74. We have a higher calling in this life than to just be like other people. We have a calling to be God's people in this world. We have a calling to be pilgrims in, on this earth who are heirs to an eternal kingdom that has been restored, that's guaranteed for us in Jesus Christ. When we break the ties with earthly things that cannot satisfy the longings of our heart, when we break the chains that, that holds our heart to people or to places or, or to things that are weak and slowly wasting away, then we are able to lift up our eyes and see the big picture. Or better yet, we are able to walk forward to the next stage in the unfolding drama of God's amazing plan for his church. We also are on that immense wave that carries all God's people to the destination. He tells us plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when you go to him, through him, you will find that he has prepared a place for you in heaven. This week again, brothers and sisters, we have been reminded of how fragile our lives on earth are. We cannot put our hope and confidence and ongoing safety and ongoing health. We had the bus accident, affected many of our lives. A dear sister, our neighboring congregation has, a, has had a stroke. We live, we breathe 
each moment by grace alone as we live in our temporary dwelling. It gives us perspective. Why are we doing the things we're doing? What is the, the value of that dollar I gained? Why do I have this family around me? What's important in this life? What a blessing, what a comfort to know that this temporary life is not all that we have. What a blessing to hear the words of our Lord Jesus, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. May this promise be something that is real in your heart. May it affect your decisions. May it be visible in the way that you manage your treasures on earth. May the call of the kingdom be clear to all the heirs in your household. May the attachments to this world be weak and your longing and your desire for the eternal kingdom be strong. May your treasure be in heaven so that your heart will be too. Amen. We'll sing together standing if you're able to stand. Hymn 36, a response, God's people to the gospel. Amen.